You are now listening to the Griot's Black Podcast Network, Black Culture Amplified. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to Dear Culture, the podcast for buying about the culture. I am your host, Panama Jackson. And today we have what is likely to be an enlightening and informative conversation uh, show for you all, because if it's probably going to enlighten me, I know it's probably going to enlighten some other folks because I am a fan of country music. Um, and but we got to have a conversation about what that even means. This is what I've learned lately as I've done my deep dives. So today our guest is a is a singer, a songwriter, an advocate for marginalized communities in the country music space. Uh, she's a radio host for Color Me Country on Apple Music. She's in the recent subject of an American Masters episode. In 2007, I became the first black woman in 20 years to be on the Billboard country charts. Please put your digital hands together for the one, the only, Reese Palmer. How you doing? I'm good. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Oh, uh, listen, I want to tell you how, how this happened, because I, I, I want I want you to understand how we got here, okay? Because oh, right, please. Um, like, I, I started doing a deep dive. So, but here's what happened. Francesca Royster writes the book Black Country Music, yes. right? And in this book, there's this whole section about, like, Afrofuture, you know, the, the future of, of, of country music and Afrofuturism and all this stuff. And you're mentioned in there, right? So I'm looking up, you know, I'm, I'm learning. And while I'm a country fan to a degree, I'm going to have to explain that at some point, too. Um, I see your name and I'm like, okay, well, I'm doing my dives and I see you have this, this country radio show. And because I plan on talking to Francesca Royster, I see you have a conversation with her. So I listen to him. I was like, oh, yo, she gets it. What do you think it's going to take to shift the culture? And there are underground forces like people creating edgy work that's saying stuff that maybe you can't say. Um, if you are interested in, um, you know, performing on the Ryman, at the Ryman Auditorium and that there that this music also kind of has a listenership, maybe growing and connecting people, maybe breaking the rules of the genre. And I think that that kind of those kinds of underground movements can push and change, um, change minds and create audiences so that. Um, audience members are hungry and demanding for for more. Now listen to your music. I'm like, wait a minute, this is amazing. Like, I love this. I love your voice. I love all the stuff. I watched the American Masters documentary because I'm thorough about my research. And I see you mentioned like Somerville, Georgia, which I have a connection to. I'm like, sure. listen, I do. Like, so I went to high school in Huntsville, Alabama, or Madison, Alabama. Mm-hmm. Let me not give you Huntsville. And but all my family's from Atlanta. So when we would drive from Huntsville to Atlanta, we would go through the mountains, which takes us through Somerville, right? On the way to 75 at Adair, Adairsville, whatever it's called, I think yes. Adairsville, something like that. And there's like this ice cream shop that's right on this, right outside of Somerville. Like after you come down the mountain, you hit this ice cream shop. And I used to go eat. We would stop there all the time at this ice cream shop to get ice cream. So I'm seeing, I'm seeing Somerville. I'm like, wait a minute. So she'd have been places I've been. Like this is, you know, there's little forks in the road and stuff over there. So I was like, you know, what? I got to get her on here because there's all these connections and you speak so eloquently and talk about like taking up space and reclaiming time uh, in your particular genre and your lane. I was like, I got to get you on here. So, you know, I'm excited to have you here. Thank you for being here. Oh, my gosh. OK, first of all, that little ice cream shop. 
has saved many, many a trip going I'm to my sure. grandma's house when I was a kid. So I'd love, I'd love that you know that. And thank you so much. Like that, that means a lot. Um, that means a lot. So thank you. Cause I've been a long time fan of what you do for a long time. Cause also we have another, um, with very smart brothers, you and Damon, I'm from mm-hmm. Pittsburgh. I was born in Pittsburgh. I was born in Swickley, Pennsylvania. And so my girlfriend, actually, one of my best friends growing up was a fan of y'all and then turned me on. So I've been following every iteration of what you're doing. So this is, I love. This Look makes me that. very happy. Full circle. Ain't that, Full circle. Ain't it all right? That's what I'm talking <laughs> about right there. So I wanted you to come here because I I've, I want to have a conversation about, like I said, taking up space or reclaiming time, however you want to frame that, in country music. But I got to start with the biggest, most ridiculous question possible, which is what exactly is country music nowadays? Because, listen, I when I grew up, my mother was a big country fan. So and I'm talking about like the Waylon Jennings and I, everybody yes. love Willie Nelson, of course. But like Hank Williams Jr. and, you know, Charlie, Pry- all that kind of stuff, which is more traditional, I suppose. Yes. Yeah. Nowadays, I don't know what's country and what ain't anymore because pop, the pop country got to be a thing, right? But then you got trap. I mean, I, that whole Lil Nas X thing. Listen, I don't know if that's country or not. But I know Breland and his song "My Truck" is a jam in my house. You can call me crazy, but don't touch my truck. And they got the Sam Hunt version where talking about dusty floorboards and stuff like that. So, like, what is country nowadays? Um. Well, first of all, this conversation is a conversation that happens probably every 10 years, every 10, 15 years in the genre as it evolves and starts to bring in other genres and other elements of other music into it. But I think country music comes down to the basics of what it's always been, which is these very simple yet complex stories about very simple things like very simple life. Um, coming from that small town, having, you know, having your heart broken, falling in love, talking about your childhood, um, telling stories like the emphasis is always on the stories. And so no matter how many trap beats you got behind you or, you know, how many guest rappers you have on your songs or anything like that, like it always comes down to the actual story. And so country music, it's really funny that you ask because... We're in a bit of a transition right now because there's like there are the Breelands and then there's like the the Jelly Rolls and all these other new artists that are coming along that are kind of pushing the limits. And then you've got artists like Luke Combs and Lainey Wilson, who are very traditional and harken back to what people traditionally think of as country. And so these kind of things are happening in tandem. And it's it's really interesting. And it seems like based on sales and trends that it's kind of starting to move towards traditional again, which like I said, happens every 10 years. Which is fascinating to me because again, you know, like as I started doing deep dives, I'm, I, I came across like gangsta grass, which is, so I, I'm like, I gotta hear what this is. Like, I don't. So what gets sold gets the water to grow and the sunlight to get the harvest ready to show. I, and to me as somebody who is a big music fan. So that's, you know, that's that's why I kind of enter this as a huge music person. But certain sounds always just like gravitate. So I'm listening to this stuff and I'm always wondering like internally how country artists feel about the 
I guess the cross genre like is Taylor Swift even country anymore? Because I've always I thought yeah. she was country, but now she's just making pop songs as far as I yeah. can tell. Like she's on all the pop stations. But I imagine with it internally and community wise, it has to be like a constant conversation about and I hate to say it, but like who's real country and what's not right. and all like are these are these the, the fights that y'all having internally, like when y'all get together in the studio? Well, you know what's funny is like, okay, so there really are like two different industries. And so okay. this is where we can get into race conversation and stuff like that because um, it does feel like there's two different things going on and like there is conflict and that sort of thing. But I think the conflict is not so much with the artist as it is with the audience and okay. with the industry. Because industry always wants to go with whatever is hot and whatever is popular. Like there was a song called um, Mercy. It was rapping about going to Applebee's on a date night. Okay. Applebee's on a date night and then something else and like, you know, arguing wearing short shorts and something like that. Yeah, we fancy like Applebee's on a date night. Got that Bourbon Street stay with the Oreo shake. That was like one of the most popular songs and it was huge on TikTok and all that. And it, it's very clearly a country rap song. Okay. And not a lot of people have problems with that. But then whenever you have an artist like Breland come in and incorporate gospel elements and some hip hop elements and all these kind of things, like people love what it does for streaming numbers. We went crazy out there last night. But right. then it becomes what's happening to this genre, what's happening to our music and that sort of thing. And so that's why I think the pendulum is swinging back this way, because if you notice the context of all this is in the last three years, there has been an influx of artists of color in the space. Absolutely. So people have been dabbling with rap and dabbling with trap beats and, and using drum machines. I remember when I was writing, and this was in town, and this was, Lord, like 12 years ago, people had started bringing um, drum machines to the writing sessions and stuff really? to have to play underneath us while we're playing with our guitars. Yeah, so this is the thing that's been going on for a while, but it only becomes a problem when all of a sudden everybody starts, not only is the music starting to sound different, but the people are starting to look different. So, yeah, yeah I, again, I think it's an internal, I don't think it's an artist issue because artists are going to do what artists are going to do. And, and that is create and evolve and change and do different things. But the industry and the fandom and radio included in the industry are what bring up this, this isn't country or this is country discussion. Yeah, that's why I did love that Billy Ray Cyrus hopped on like Old Town Road. He's like, y'all saying this ain't? Now say it's not. Pat down cross town, living like a rock star. Or even right. Sam Hunt on my truck. Like he gets on. They say busted and the floorboards rusted with a little bit of love and it'll fire right up. And listen, I got to be honest, that Sam Hunt version goes. Like I love yeah. that version. That's the only one we listen to. My kids love that song because yeah. it's basically a trap song. That's just, you know, he's talking about Jordans and, you know, my kids don't know what blunts are necessarily. But, you know, that's what he's talking about that. So I just make sure they don't say that. But, right. you know, it's like, it's fascinating because I'm listening to this. I'm like, you could play this in a club. Like, I spend some time. I could run this in a club and nobody would be the wiser of what's going on because it hits so hard. Mm -hmm. I was like, I know for a fact some of them white people can't stand this. They probably look at this yeah. like, here to go infiltrating again. They, they, which is weird because I think of country 
like most genres of music that are American based is probably like a black art form that really gets, you know, like the blues and jazz and everything else. Like there's a very black through line through all of this stuff. And then, you know, there, here we go. Like people like uh, you take it, you're, you're infiltrating our art form, which I do think oddly is how most people view country. 100%. I think the branding job that was done back in the 20s was excellent because it is stuck. And, you know, and it was reinforced in the 70s. There is an amazing paper. If anybody wants to go do a deep dive on this, this is this is great. Um, She's a doctoral candidate right now, so I can't call her doctor yet, but soon to be Dr. Amanda Martinez, um, who I've had on my show before. She's brilliant. Um, she wrote a paper about how country music became like seen as this right wing, patriotic, American white art form. And it happened in the 70s. And it's because of Richard Nixon. And then it was continued by Ronald Reagan and really driven home in the 80s. And now that's why you see like this shock and awe as to what the genre has become. And like, you know, when you have people like Chris Stapleton or Dolly Parton or Garth Brooks speaking out about, you know, injustices and, and social justice issues and people being shocked and, and that sort of thing. That's why that happened, because this art form started. I mean, one of the basis instrument, two of the basis instruments, which are the fiddle and the banjo are based on African instruments. I mean, the banjo even retained the shape of what it was when it was in Africa. And, you know, there's evidence now that fiddle also, like it's it's Celtic, but it's also African. And there are styles of playing and styles of, you know, of fiddling that are, that harken back to tribal um, players. And, and, and the early string bands were black and they were enslaved people. And, you know, in wanting to imitate us, they would often put on blackface and tried to perform the songs exactly as as we did. And, you know, one of the first families of country music is, is the Carter family. June Carter Cash comes from the Carter family. Oh, June Carter Cash, yeah, okay. Yeah, and one of the things that they're known for is their very distinct, Ma Carter's very distinct picking style. Well, guess where she learned how to do that? From a black pastor named Leslie Riddle. And he was the A&R person. Like... In the Country Music Hall of Fame, there are lyrics in the hall, and it says, let the circle be unbroken. Guess what let the circle be unbroken is? It's a black spiritual song that was taught to the Carter family by Leslie Riddle from the black church. So, you know, so many of the, I could go on and on. T. Tot Payne taught, um, oh my God, Hank Williams. Hank Williams is known as like the forefather of country music, like one of the first icons. T. Todd Payne was a poor black man blues player. Hank Williams couldn't even afford to pay him money for guitar lessons, so he gave him sandwiches wow. in exchange. So, like, so, and I can, like I said, I can go on and on and on. We are always there. We have always been there. But because of marketing and because of, you know, musical redlining, things are the way that they are now and the way that we see them. Absolutely. All right, we're going to take a real quick break here on Dear Culture. We're going to come back and talk more about the musical redlining and, and, and everything you just said, because it was all fascinating and I'm learning so much. So stay <laughs> tuned here on Dear Culture. 
The 80s gave us unforgettable songs from Bob Marley, De La Soul, and Public Enemy. I'm a black man, and I can never be a veteran. Being Black, the 80s is a podcast docuseries hosted by me, Torre, looking at the most important issues of the 80s through the songs of the decade. A decade when crack kingpins controlled the streets, but lost their humanity. You couldn't be like those soft, smiling, happy-go-lucky drug dealers. You had to suppress that. It was a time when disco was part of gay liberation. It provided the information to counter narratives that were given to gay people by the straight world. This is the funkiest history class you'll ever take. Join me, Torre, for Being Black the 80s on the Grio Black Podcast Network or wherever you listen to podcasts. All right, we're back here in Dear Culture with Reese Palmer, and we're talking about the marketing that was done to basically turn country into a basically feeling like the white genre of music that's the way that it's treated so i have to ask so i watched your i watched the documentary about you on america masters it was really fascinating because you kind of have uh, unfortunately the story that so many artists have over the decades right where the, the the somebody took a shot it didn't work out they blamed you then the, the, the record company took advantage of you know like having a fight for your own freedom and all that stuff in order to create the music you want to create so I got to ask, though, because so you're fighting label battles and, and, and all of that, but you're also doing so in a genre that like we're talking about now is predominantly white, you know, predominantly probably white male. I can't I don't know all the demographics, but let's yes. for the sake of argument, let's go. This is a white male, like largely white male dominated, even though some of my favorite are the Dolly Partons or, you know, the, the larger than life figures. So what's it like as a black woman taking up space here? Because that's what it feels like you are doing and doing so in a very loud way. We're going to talk about some of that loudness. Um, what's that like for you? Um, it's very different now than it was in 2007 and the early 2000s when I got started. I came to Nashville when I was 19. And so that was uh, 2000. And um, we were not having these conversations back then. In right. fact, I was discouraged from having these conversations. It was more so like, put your head down write the songs, sing the songs, and, you know, don't don't talk about it. It's obvious that you're black, so we don't need to talk about it. Um, <laughs> and so that was how the first half of my career was pretty much conducted. And I didn't really, I didn't really get um, super politically, political, so to speak, um, until, you know, after the, the record label and, and after everything was over. Like, I've always been black. But it, it's always been, um, you know, just just try to get along. And so I, I would describe the whole experience in the very beginning as like, if you've ever been the only black person in a situation, like in school or, um, you know, at your job or anything like that, and it's something that, you know, you're doing something that you love. And so you and all the people that you're there with have that in common. And, um, you know, you probably have a lot more in common with those people than you think that you do. But there is this one thing, this this thing where, you know, politically you might be different or racially you're different. And so it was for me trying really hard to be myself, but also fit in. 
and try to figure out how to do those two things simultaneously. Like I've always worn my hair natural. So there was, there's no straight hair, Reese, like long Barbie doll hair, Reese. There's not that. And then like, <laughs> um, you know, I've always like, one of the things that I always wanted to do was to be at the time, Ebony and Jet and Vibe Magazine and all that kind of stuff. I wanted to be in those magazines because those are the magazines that were like, that's famous to me. When you're in Jet, right. you're famous. Right. When you're in oh, Ebony Jet is and definitely S- making it. Yes, you're famous. And so like, those are the things I was excited. I was excited about Country Weekly, but I was really excited when I was in Jet. So just trying to keep those two things and stay true to those two things, it was a balancing act. And so there's a lot of code switching. There was a lot of swallowing things that we now call microaggressions. I remember I used to go to radio stations and the reaction to me would range from, there were very cool people, very people that were very excited about me. And then there were people that were just like, so why did you choose country? Like you talked about the authenticity thing earlier, like what is country? I used to get asked that all the time. I went online, I went live one time with a radio station in the morning show. And they just started playing obscure country songs to see if I knew what they were, to test wow. me in front of an audience to see if I knew what I was talking about. But what they didn't know is I'm a music head. So I was like, oh, I know that. That's fair and young. And like that kind of thing. They're like, oh, okay. And, you know, and then there was the the testing you like, oh, well, you're beautiful for a black woman. Or, well, you're not black, black. Wow. And like that kind of thing. And so it just ranged from that sort of thing. And like sometimes I would be the only black person in the venue besides people that were working there. And, you know, I have played to all white audiences before. I have played having to sing in front of a Confederate flag waving right in front of me. I was refused once to walk on a stage that literally had my name on the banner that was hanging above. A security guard didn't want to let me on stage because he was just like, what are you doing here? And I was like, I'm I'm Reese Palmer. They're playing my song. I need to go out on stage. The promoter had to come and have them let me on stage. So just, you know, I have tons of stories like that. So it was just like, again, balancing what you love with balancing being true to who you are. So does that feel like you just like you're fighting the good fight, so to speak, having to do stuff like that? Because. I can't imagine having to play in front of a big Confederate flag. Well, you know, like that, that's like the 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 most flashiness red light of all time, right? Like whenever, you know, I grew I, I went to high school in Alabama. Like I grew up around those things, right? People mm-hmm. had them on their cars, everything. And it's always annoying. It's always, because it, whether they want it to be or not, that whole heritage, not hate thing, whatever, nonsense. Like it's a, it's a symbol of, it's a symbol of, of hate as far as I'm concerned. But you kind of, you know, you're, it's like pushing through that to it's like a, a, a small step it's always a one one further step like how frustrating is that but do you always feel like there's a bigger purpose to what you're doing and and what you're what you're providing to the masses so yes and no i will say okay. in the very beginning i don't know that i was like hyper aware of like i knew it I knew the historical ramifications of everything and, you know, being the first black woman in 20 years at that time to be on the charts. Like I understood the the gravity of that, but I was just trying to make it as an artist. Like I was still kind of thinking of myself as like, I'm trying to be Taylor Swift. I'm trying to be Carrie Underwood. I'm trying to be like all my contemporaries. 
I was trying to be those people. And so I was like, you know, this is this is kind of par for the course. But now I look at it more so as, no, you do this because you want to make sure that the next line of people coming behind you don't have to worry about this. Like, don't have to don't have to think about these things like they really can be Carrie Underwood and Taylor Swift because they don't have to worry about all these other, you know, all this other bull. So, you know, you talked about Ebony and Jet and all these spaces because I kind of want I want to shift a little bit because like in the country world, it seems like there's a lot of fighting for acceptance on the black side. There's a black coin to this. It's like acknowledgement at all. Right. Like it feels like ain't nobody like it's just. We just ain't listening to country music like that. And the reason I bring this up, I'm going to make a real interesting comparison. So you have a song called Seeds. Don't believe what you've been sold. They can bury your body, but never. I, you know, I saw that you wrote it in the aftermath of Michael Brown. Um, you know, what happened in Ferguson. And, you know, you drop a video that I'm sure pissed off all manner of white people. And you mentioned that in the documentary. Can't act too free, act too proud, shine too bright, speak too loud. So here's the interesting thing about that. Kendrick Lamar's song, We Gonna Be Alright, becomes the, the song of the movement effectively, right? We gonna be alright, do you hear me? We had it synonymous with, like, the Black Lives Matter at this point. I feel like C should be number two on that playlist. But, yeah, you know, I also don't think... I, I saw the video for the first time when I'm doing research and stuff like that. Like, it, it we have such a non... Like, we're just not... When people say country, Americana, folk, all this stuff, it's just like, all right, that's not, I get off at this road. I get off right. at this exit. How do you shore up that? Like, what's the, that has to be as frustrating as trying to get acceptance in a room with people that, that don't seem to want you there as like, here guys, I'm out here making this music. It's for us. Like your, your revival album is amazing. I mean, and it's, it's amazing in a way that's not try hard. Like, it's not like, and not what I'm going to say is going to be jacked up, but like when I listen to some country songs by by people, I hate the songs about America and all that. Like, come on. Like, it drives me nuts. Like, stop pandering to people who don't care about you, right? Your music is very authentic. And I swear to God, you it sound like you you were listening to Prince when you made uh some some song on there that sounded like Diamonds and Pearls to me. I'm like, what? oh, this is Prince all day long, like 100 percent Um So what's that part of it like too? Because it's black music. If black people making it, it's black music, right? But it doesn't seem like it's catching on in our community, at least from where I'm sitting, in a way that it should be. And that's got to be similarly frustrating. Oh, my God. Like, you basically just named the plight of every black country artist, Americana artist, is that you want to, you are a black person, a proud black person at that. And you want to represent and you also want to do this music that's not thought of as as black. And so you're having to you're straddling the fence like you're 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 kind of like a, you're on your own island in a lot of ways, because it's like, well, black people are just like murder. And then black people are like, that's white people music. And so then you don't really have you know, you have nowhere to go in a lot of instances. Um. I mean, I I wish I had an answer for you because I I don't know. And that's something that I think a lot about, especially in the work that uh, advocacy work that I do, because we deserve to have a black audience. And there are black bands 
I think, though, there's a responsibility on Black media and Black music fans, too, not to abandon us. Um, I was so happy. We were, like, at the CMT Awards last year, there was a whole bunch of us there. And I think part of the reason that Black media was so interested is because Monica was there and Anthony Mackie was the host. And right. so it was a ton of us. And um, they put all of our red carpet pictures on Bossip. I was hyped. Like, you don't understand <laughs> how excited y'all were. I mean, that's a sign of like, making it. You yeah. make it to Bossip, boy. You, uh, you in there. Listen, and it wasn't for doing dirt. Like, <laughs> right. Like, Facts. I never had to be caught up in, in, in controversy in order to make it on to Bossip. And it was just like, this makes me so happy. And I made a post about it. I was just like, it makes us happy to be a part of black media. And to be a, a part of black culture as we are, because we're black too. And this is another way of being. This is just another, we're multifaceted people. So I think the responsibility is on white people in the industry to make the venues feel safe and to make the music feel safe. And then I also think it's on black people too to like open your mind, expand your horizons. And know that, you know, not all of us are, um, you know, it's like you said, like there are the patriotic songs. There are the, you know, America F. Yeah. <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then there's also the songs about, you know, like Willie Jones record. American Dreams is one of my favorite records. It does beg the question about, to some to some degree, about like gatekeeping, right? Like nowadays, in order to like break into all these other markets, like the playlists that you know all the streaming services create and stuff like that, is typically how that's how I find a lot of new music, right? Like, and I'm getting older, so I don't have the patience to dig into music <laughs> the way that the way that I did when I was in my twenties, right? But you know, it also I also wonder like how in the world, like I guess I don't I don't. You know, I don't understand how to even make that part of it happen because, you know, the this, the music is good. You know, like I, I genuinely enjoy it. And listen, as far as I'm concerned, so much of what I hear from like black, it sounds a lot like gospel to me. Like when I'm listening to this, this sounds like it's straight up out the church. The singing is all like, you know, there's some genres you don't have to really be able to sing in order to make it. But y'all be singing. You know what I mean? Like there's some singing going on, not just singing. And we love that in the black community. We love singers. We love people that can sing, like really do it. And people that, you know what, if you invited them to church, they could come into the front and sing a song if they wanted to. You know what I'm saying? Like that's, and that's what I hear from a lot of it. But I always, I've been, you know, I've been thinking about that a lot. Like how in the world do you get, because I think it's an awareness thing. Maybe, maybe yeah. I'm giving too much credit to just yeah. awareness, but I, you know, and I, I don't have an answer either. I've been, I've been thinking about that a lot as I listen to your album and the albums of all these people you know, that I've been exposed to through your, your radio show or through the songs that I'm hearing there and just the reading and stuff that I've done. Like, you know, I, I, I don't, I don't have an answer either, obviously, but that's just, you know, one of those things I've been thinking a lot about, like how in the world do you bring, how do you put this music in front of people who are going to appreciate it because it's just good? You know, they just got to know what's out there in the first place. Well, so. first of all, I think things like this are important. Like I'm really grateful for you having me on the show because this is a platform where you know there are other black people and and you can and and you can hear me and know that i know 
that I am. <laughs> and, right. <laughs> and that, um, and, and, and we can talk, have these conversations. I think the, the first thing, it most definitely is awareness. And so it would be awesome if BET integrated some of our videos into, well, they don't right. play videos anymore, but right. you know, uh, <laughs> When there was a time when music videos were played, like it would be nice to be integrated in that. Like Country Girl, a lot of people don't know this. My video for Country Girl was played on BET. And um, and that was awesome. Show the world you're a country girl. And, you know, Jimmy Allen was just nominated for Best New Artist at the NAACP Award. That's something. That's really special. That Kane is. Brown played at the BET Awards. That's special. That's important. Okay. So now, next year, invite four of us. And maybe think about making a category. Like, we just have to... We have to be welcomed into the spaces as well. Right. Like, it's not just a matter of just showing up and being like, Hey, y'all, I'm country. Take a picture. Like, you, we have to... It would be nice to be invited. It would be nice to be invited into the conversation. So Fair enough. I think that's the first, that's that's one of the steps for sure. Absolutely. All right, we're going to take another break here. We come back, we got more with Reese Palmer. All right, welcome back to Dear Coach. I'm here with Reese Palmer, and we're talking about basically race and country music. I mean, <laughs> that's what we've been talking about, like the elephant in the room, right? Even, I mean, it's like, yeah, the elephant in the room in a lot of these conversations. Um, yes. You just dropped a new single with Miko Marks, who I discovered through your song. I'm still here. Love, uh, like, I, I love when I find something that leads me to other things and other people that open my mind to all kinds of stuff. Right? I love that. So I appreciate you for that. Um, unintentionally doing that. Like, you know, I started listening and I'm like, OK, I'm, I'm, I'm all in. And funny enough, you mentioned how in the last segment we were talking about how being on shows like this like let people know oh is this a black, like country but black like you get it you know it because that's exactly what happened when i listened to your radio shows like oh oh wait a minute oh this this okay she get that's why i said earlier she gets it all right this is you know and not that i would assume that you wouldn't but it's just like you don't know what you don't know like i don't know what conversations are happening but then i listen to the episodes I'm like oh yeah okay all right 100 percent there so you know our own you're right about that like like spaces that promote music and all this other and, and have these conversations need to be having full conversations about all of the music you know not just so yeah i'm with you but anyway back your new single i'm still here love it uh Thanks. love love watching some of the recording in the america masters thing like of the you know the creation and all that stuff um <laughs> you know like so is it so i'm assuming this is probably going to be coming out on the album soon or something like that <laughs> like What's so the last album was 2019 revival was 2019 right yes so what you been doing in the meantime what what you been doing um well I was one of those artists that had the misfortune of releasing an album in October of 2019 thinking that I was going to be touring in 2020 uh, and then you know the whole world fell apart and world so fell apart. um I started Color Me Country Radio um during the pandemic. Fascinating uh, show, by the way. I've learned so much listening to those episodes. It's at the point where I just listen to the episodes. Uh, I've been going through the playlist. Like, oh, let me just listen to this stuff because I'm learning so much and I'm really enjoying it. So good job. I love that show. Thank you so much. Like, actually, the playlist is probably my favorite part is putting the music together for the show. Uh -huh. um, but yeah, so I started doing that. Um, and I just want to drop this. Call Me Country is named that 
because of Linda Martell. Um, Linda Martell is the first black woman to ever play the Grand Ole Opry in 1968. And she is also, to this day, the highest charting black solo female artist on the Billboard country charts. And that is at 22. And that was 1968. And then after her is Mickey Guyton. And then after her is me. Um, And so just to give you an idea of what that's like. So I have been having a ball doing it and, and having these conversations and telling the stories and then shortly after that, um, I was approached. The my friend Kelly McCartney, who is another host on Apple Music Country, um, uh, they host a Record Bin Radio, and they are the reason why I have a show on Apple Music. They hooked me up. Um, Kelly runs a fund called the Rainy Day Fund that uh, gives grants, micro grants, to artists of color, LGBTQ plus, and disabled artists. Um, Kelly asked me would I like to start a fund for artists of color, specifically in country music and Americana. So then we started the Color Me Country Artist Grant Fund in December of 2021. And to date, we have funded over 70 artists and raised over $100,000 to do that. Um, So I run that. And then I also um, was asked to curate a stage which is a part of the documentary, the end, the last 15 minutes of the documentary. Yeah, I loved it. I saw that. It was amazing. It looked yeah. amazing. It was like the front oh porch thing, whatever. It was yeah. awesome. It's That's a stage, and it stays up. They built a house, and it looks like, like smoke comes out in the chimney and everything. Well, this <laughs> festival is the Long Road Festival. It is in Leicestershire. You have to say it with an accent. Uh, Leicestershire, England, uh, which is like two, out, two hours outside of London. Um, this is an Americana country music festival that happens has been happening for the past five years. Um, we were asked to curate a stage for an entire day, the Color Me Country Takeover stage. And so last year, I took seven female artists, Indigenous, Latinx, and Black, um, over, including Nico. And uh, all expenses paid. All of this was paid for by donations to the fund. And um, I took my band, which is an all-Black band, and we made country music for an entire day over in London. It was amazing. And so we're going to do it again this year. What else do I do? I'm on, um, I'm, I have a nonprofit now, uh, which is going to be the Call Me Country Foundation. And artist advocacy is like a big thing for me. And so because I've been an, an independent artist for the past 15 years, I think it's really important for artists to know how to do all this stuff themselves so that they don't sign predatory record right. contracts, management contracts. Cause there's so much you can do on your own. If you just let you, if you just believe in especially yourself nowadays, especially nowadays, 100%, there's no excuse at this point. And so I didn't, that's why I started the fund because money shouldn't be a reason why you don't do it. And so I'm trying to put together programming for all artists, not just artists of color, but everybody who's an independent artist and wants to know how to do this, but with an emphasis on artists of color. So I, I do all of that. And um, I'm also a special correspondent for CMT Hot 20 Countdown. CMT is country music television. Uh-huh. And um, so I interview artists and, um, and have really funny and sometimes strange conversations <laughs> with, with country artists and, um, it's fun. I have a really good time. So like that's and I'm a mom. I have two little girls, 11 and 3. 
And so, you know, I'm a I'm a volleyball mom and a ballet mom and doing all, all the things. So you busy. Yes. You're really busy. Because I know that, that yeah, that mom that volleyball mom, my, my daughter plays volleyball, so that volleyball mom stuff is. Oh, yeah. You oh, know, yeah. every you busy. weekend. Every oh, yeah. week. Okay. Oh, I fly in sometimes early in the morning from a show. I just did it. I flew in from Virginia at like five o'clock in the morning so I could be at my daughter's uh last volleyball tournament last weekend at 9 a.m. Uh, so, uh, uh. you know, mom life be lifing. Like, yeah. <laughs> you know, parent life is a whole thing. Parent life is a whole thing. It's Absolutely. Whole thing. That's, that's what y'all need to be doing. Talk about what it's like to be a parent and an artist. I, where's that show at? Because that's what I need to see. Like, all these people, they got all the kids. And, I mean, Nick Cannon <laughs> could probably do this show by himself. But, you know, like, it's, it's, there, there's, being an artist and creative that has to travel and do things and be all the places in order because it's their livelihood, but also wanting to be an active parent. And I would imagine yeah. like, you know, the sexistly like women, this hits y'all harder than it probably does men. There's all this understanding of men. You go out, you go on the road and make your money and do all the stuff. And but, you know, nowadays, you know, look, I'm, I'm a father of four. My wife runs an organization for mothers of color in the, in the Washington, D.C. area. And all the dads I know, we're all very active participants, no matter what your jobs are and everything. So, you know, that like work, that that work in parent life, it's a lot. But I can imagine it's even more so for artists who are traveling and like, you know, the people that we know, we watch all on stage and then you get off stage and you hopping on the phone to FaceTime a baby. You know what I'm saying? You just got finished rocking the crowd. And it's like, hey, how are you? You know, so that's there, there need to be something about that. Where's that documentary? That's what I need to see. No, we, I mean, it's, um, it's, I mean, you, a part of the thing that I loved about the documentary that Dilsey uh, Davis, the director captured was that life. Cause it really is like my daughters, a lot of times are backstage. And so like, I'll, I'll be, I mean, I'm no, no joke. I just did a show earlier this year where my three-year-old sat in a chair with headphones on watching Sesame street while I did the show. (laughs) And I'm watching her and like, cause my, my husband took my, my older daughter to DC for a vacation. So it was just me and the little one. And so she's just watching Sesame street while I'm doing the show. And she fell asleep wow. in the chair while the show was going on. So like often that is my life, but people don't know that sitting in front of the stage. So it's, it's a whole thing. Indeed. Indeed. All right. We're going to take one more break. We're going to come back with two of my favorite segments sort of Black Fashions and Black Medations here on Dear Culture. All right. We're back here on Dear Culture and I'm with Reese Palmer and we have come to the end of the show, but the fun part of the show, uh, but this whole conversation has been fun and enlightening. Amazing. So thank you so much. Um, we do two things here at Dear Culture with every guest. We do Black Fashions and Black Medation. We start with the Black Fashion, which is a confession about your blackness. Something People will be surprised to learn about you because you're black. Do you have a black fashion? Oh, my God. Okay. Now, you're a country artist, too, which is interesting because it's like, I know. even in itself, like, you show up and people are like, well, you a country singer? Like, that's, like, your life is a black fashion effectively. Oh, in my whole way. life is a black fashion. <laughs> <laughs> what do you want? No, um, you see, something that people would be surprised to know, um... I think, well, first of all, I, well, like, I'm a Will Ferrell head. Like, okay. back on a tour bus, when we would travel, we would have Chappelle Show DVD and every Will Ferrell movie that has ever been made. 
And I, at least once a day, make a Will Ferrell reference. Like, I call my daughter. I was like, you're my little gentleman. (laughs) So I guess, you know, like, because that, I always think of that kind of stuff, like those kind of movies, like Superbad and like The Hangover and all that kind of stuff. They're kind of like white boy frat movies. Yeah. I love them. Like, yep. I understand. I work in, and I think Brick killed the guy into so many articles that I've written. Um, or I love lamp. Like I throw that and I tell everybody that my apartment has many leather bound books and smells of rich mahogany. Like I did all the time. So I have, I have leather patches on my jacket. Yes. And my favorite is don't put that evil on me, Ricky Bobby. Like that's the, (laughs) you know, tell that to people anytime somebody does something crazy. It's don't put that evil on me, Ricky. So I'm with you hundred percent right there with you. Baby Jesus. We've done that many times at the dinner. Oh yes. Got to do the whole prayer. My wife hates it. I throw that in there, you know, just like she hates it. She's like, what are you doing? But got to do it sometimes. Got to keep on her toes. Sacrilegious. That is sacrilegious. Don't say it. Yes, indeed. So sacrilegious, so good. Love it. So, um, all right. Well, so to counteract sometimes what could be for some people bad black and black fashions, we also do black recommendations, which is a recommendation about something by for and about blackness, black culture, the community. Um, Anything you're up on or interested, do you have a black recommendation for us? I do. I mean, I have two. I'm looking over at my bookshelf. Like, I read a bunch of things at the same time. So, two things. I'll give you two. Um, one is the Color Me Country Artist Grant Fund. Um, this is to help us continue to normalize black people in Americana country music and bluegrass spaces. So, you know, it doesn't have to, you don't have to give me $10,000, although I would love it if you gave me $10,000. I'm sure. Um, no, but if, you know, it, it's sometimes people just donate $10 and that's amazing and it's wonderful and it goes directly to artists. Um, it also helps us to do the trip, which we're going to do this year. And um, I'm trying to raise $70,000 by August. So, you know, fingers crossed. Um, but yeah, so you can go to colormecountry.com. And there's a tab and you can make a donation there and you can continue. music. You also see all of the artists that we've given money to because you see like one of the guys, one of our grantees was on Tamron Hall a couple of weeks oh, nice. ago. Tony Evans Jr. And yes, so, Tony Evans Jr. That's right. I saw that interview. Yep, sure did. Yep. And so Tony's one of our early grantees. I found him on social media and, um, you know, Brittany Spencer is another one of our early grantees. And Chapel Hart, who were on America's Got Talent, they were one of our early grantees as well. So you know, you you see where your money's going. So it, it's it's a worthwhile thing. And then books. So I'm a big book person. I love history and I love trying to understand um, why things are the way that they are. And so I'm reading this book. It's called A Taste for Brown Sugar, and it's really good. And it talks about where this whole sexualized idea of black women comes from and uh, like the early, like, I mean, back, 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 back hundreds of years to, you know, where we are right now. And it's, it's really fascinating. Very, very fascinating, especially raising daughters. I'm very I'm sure. interested yeah. in it. So it's great. It's a great book. Who's the author? It is by uh, Muriel Miller Young. And the name of the okay. book is A Taste for Brown Sugar, Black Women in Pornography. Wow. Okay. That's a I've never even heard of that book. So yeah. you put me up stay put me up on game. I can appreciate it. 
I try. They put me up on game. Listen, <laughs> you're doing a good job. You're doing a good job. All right. Where can people keep up with what you've got going on, the touring, new music? Uh, where? How can people keep up with Rizzy Palmer? So the 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 the. I guess the 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 beehive center of all of this is ReeseyPalmer.com or ReeseyPalmerMusic.com. Both will take you to the same place. And you can find links to all my um, social media. I Instagram. I don't Twitter so much because Elon Musk frustrates <laughs> and angers me so. But um, I do Instagram. I sometimes TikTok. But you can find all the links to everything at ReeseyPalmer.com and our go-to ColorMeCountry.com to find out about the show. I post links. All of our playlists are free. So if you want to hear some of this black country music that Panama was talking about, you can go there and I I make a playlist for every episode. So they're all available and um, yeah, just go there and you can see the tour. So look, you're in DC. So you need to come to me and Miko's tour. You're an invited guest if you want to come. We're playing the Kennedy oh, Center. Absolutely. Oh, oh yeah, the Kennedy Center too. Absolutely, yes. I will. I will we happily. Started. I will happily come. Come happily through. Come. Yeah, you you don't threaten me with a good time. <laughs> I am. It's it, 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 done and done. Listen, thank you so much for being here. This has been a great conversation. Um, I appreciate either your efforts and well, all of them because you got a lot of efforts in in <laughs> advocacy and music creation and ensuring that. There's space available for indigenous and people just marginalized communities in the space where a lot of times that space doesn't exist. So, you know, I appreciate learning about it. Thank you for being here and all that you do. It's genuinely appreciated. And I love learning. So and I learned a lot here. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. No, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Like I said, these are these types of conversations are exactly what are needed in order to kind of bridge the gaps. So thank you so much for for going down the rabbit hole and for having me on. I appreciate it. And thank you to everybody for listening to Dear Culture, which is an original podcast of the Real Black Podcast Network. It is produced by Sasha Armstrong, edited by Jeff Trudeau, and Regina Griffin is our director of podcasts. Uh, Again, my name is Panama Jackson. Thank you for listening. Have a black one. The 80s gave us unforgettable songs from Bob Marley, De La Soul, and Public Enemy. I'm a black man, and I can never be a veteran. Being Black, the 80s is a podcast docuseries hosted by me, Torre, looking at the most important issues of the 80s through the songs of the decade. Can I have another hit? The dark man stands up. I don't give a A decade when crack kingpins controlled the streets but lost their humanity. You couldn't be like those soft, smiling, happy-go-lucky drug dealers. You had to suppress that. It was a time when disco was part of gay liberation. It provided the information to counter narratives that were given to gay people by the straight world. This is the funkiest history class you'll ever take. Join me, Torre, for Being Black the 80s on the Grio Black Podcast Network or wherever you listen to podcasts.